Welcome to the John Brown University Chapel podcast, recorded in the historic Cathedral of the Ozarks in Salem Springs, Arkansas. This week's chapel speaker was Dr. Kevin Simpson. Dr. Simpson is professor of psychology at JBU. Prior to arriving at JBU, his alma mater, Dr. Simpson taught for 12 years in Portland, Oregon, and completed his PhD in counseling psychology at the University of Denver. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you stand up again because we're going to read the word of the Lord. So back up if you would, please. Thank you. So good morning to you all. I'm Dr. Kevin Simpson, and the passage today is Mark chapter 5. I'm actually going to read the first half of it. So let me get right to it. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him, begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and have a seat. Whack job, unhinged, deranged, schizo, weirdo, loco, wacko, nut job, crackpot, screwball, gone mental, off your rocker, out of your mind, loony, nutty as a fruitcake, escaped from the funny farm, and my least favorite of all of these colorful labels, psycho. Good morning. I'm Dr. Kevin Simpson, and I teach in the psychology department here at JBU. Before becoming a college professor, I was a staff therapist in a number of university counseling centers and community mental health clinics. You'll see that these details will be relevant a little later on. And one more thing, if you will indulge me. I will read from my notes. I want to make sure I get every word right. This morning, I'm going to focus on the first half of Mark 5, and the big themes from this chapter include Jesus' emerging power 
and authority and the expression of that power in his earthly ministry. Through the power of restoration, we will also encounter incredible stories of disability and trauma in the ancient literature of the New Testament. In the time we have together, I want to share with you a unique interpretation of these passages from Mark 5 that draws our attention to an oft-overlooked group in our society, those burdened with psychological suffering. In Luke 4.18, Jesus declares that he has come to bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, and to let the oppressed go free. Those with mental illness are often poor because of society's treatment of them. They are often captive to their symptoms and to the attitudes of the society in which they live. Sometimes these attitudes may even work to oppress. If we as the body of Christ are to embody this healing and liberating work of Christ with those afflicted with mental illness, those of us gathered here would do well to reconsider our beliefs about the mentally ill. And we have the best guide we could imagine for that task, Jesus Christ himself. Earlier in Mark 1, we find Jesus also casting out demons at Capernaum on the northwest shore on the Sea of Galilee. Even there, demons affirm Jesus' sinlessness and deity, calling him the Holy One of God. Many were brought to him and many more were healed. In our passage from Mark 5, Jesus and the disciples are crossing to the other side to Gerasa, the land of the Gerasenes. Gerasa was a large Roman city founded by Alexander the Great and situated 33 miles southeast of Galilee, and on the Jordan side of the sea. The city is one of the 10 called the Decapolis that surround Galilee. You probably heard that in the passage a minute ago, the Decapolis. I have a couple of pictures that show the area where Jesus performed these many miracles. And I wanna give actually a quick shout out and thanks to Dr. Vila from the JBU Bible Department for the next two pictures. And before I move ahead, actually a little plug, a little commercial here in the middle for him. Uh, Dr. Vila has a Jordan Studies program that he does each summer, actually probably every other summer. Um, it's actually been a multi-year archeological dig and uh, I hear from students who go on this trip and actually faculty as well. And there's one word they describe, it's uh, they're the experience. It's basically life-changing. So you might wanna check that out if you've got a summer free, if we ever have those again, so yeah. In the foreground of the first picture, you see a first century public fountain, and in the background are likely the very tombs mentioned in our passage. The Sea of Galilee is at the very back of the image, and actually the young man there at the front is Dr. Vila's beautiful son, Samuel. In the second picture, well, apparently First, first Lady Carrie Pollard is taking Chip on a trip. <laughs> so back to our story. Jesus and his entourage are greeted by a man, but this man gets no name. It is said that no one could restrain him and that no one has the strength to subdue him. We learn that he is possessed by an evil spirit and has existed just barely, naked and chained, living among the tombs and depending on the providence of others for food. Immediately, the unclean spirit recognizes Jesus, but Christ calls out the demon before the demon speaks. Yet the demon tries to assert some sort of authority by naming Jesus, but Jesus responds by demanding the demon's name. His name is Legion and he begs mercy. But in verse 513, Jesus dismisses Legion, casting him into more than 2,000 pigs, which of course are unclean and unvalued animals for the time. And these pigs run off the cliff and drown in the depths of the nearby lake. Besides the tragic loss of a vast amount of delicious bacon, there are, some several, there are several profound truths to recognize here. Apologies to our vegetarian friends as well. After this miraculous healing, we find the Gerasene man clothed and sitting in profound silence. I can imagine him sitting along Jesus, experiencing a genuine peace he has not known for years. The voices anguish him no more. Imagine also the response of the disciples to this scene. 
They are likely already nervous about being in Gentile lands and almost immediately they are faced with a terrifying figure who demands Jesus' attention. In New Testament times, demons caused epilepsy, deafness, blindness, and suicidal feelings. In the Middle Ages, we mistook demon possession for schizophrenia, bipolar illness, or what we used to call multiple personality disorder. And fast forward to our own day, psychological issues such as addiction, anxiety, PTSD, childhood trauma, eating disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder, autism, and many other struggles continue to confound our abilities to understand and to offer help. But this story does not end in confusion and desperation. Let's come back to the text, starting with verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, and Jesus did not let him, but said instead, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. The next time we actually hear about Jesus in this region of Galilee in Mark 7, the people are more receptive to the gospel and Christ's ministry because of the testimony of this healed man. Jesus heals not only to save this man, to also, but also to further prepare the people for his message. Now I want to take a slight detour for just a minute. In the final half of Mark 5, we actually have two more um, stories of healing. And at first glance, they don't seem to go together, but I think they do make sense um, in, in short order here. So in the latter, latter half, the latter part of Mark 5, we are introduced to a, what's called a hemorrhaging woman. Most likely we're talking about someone who's been suffering from menstruation straight on for 12 years. She is perpetually, quote, unclean and unable to enter the synagogue, and there's really nobody there to advocate for her. Her own cultural stigma of flowing blood means she has suffered tremendously for more than a decade. She has suffered under the care of physicians and her condition is worse. We have a parallel to today, of course, as well. Often the mentally ill suffer with treatments of mixed or unpredictable effectiveness. And honestly, frankly, a little side note, if you've been maybe in counseling yourself or know somebody, uh, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes we don't necessarily get the healing we, we hope for. So in essence, this woman is a double outcast. She's physically afflicted and unclean according to Levitical laws, and she's poor, likely due to medical exploitation of that time. But, but... She, because she has heard about Jesus and she recognizes his power and she has faith in, in Jesus' ability to heal, when she touches his garment, he is healed. From the end of Mark 4 through this passage we are studying today, we see three dire situations related to tombs, blood, and death. And in fact, at the end of Mark 5, right after the healing of this woman, the daughter of an official from the local synagogue is actually raised from the dead. So altogether, Jesus brings healing to these, these three situations, these three dire situations, to those who are, again, in unclean circumstances, basically. Throughout these accounts, we see in dramatic ways why Jesus is worthy of our devotion. He is the master physician. Now back to this theme of restoration. Christ offers this tortured soul a way back to the land of the living. In his encounter with the Gerasene man, Jesus breaks all of the important social norms of the day. He's pursuing ministry in Gentile lands, and he willingly enters this man's makeshift home among the dead in the tombs. Jewish purity codes of the day did not restrain Jesus. Once again, in Mark 5, we read, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Of course, Jesus shows no fear, and unlike so many others around him, he's not bothered by the grotesque and frightening appearance of this tormented man. 
Keep in mind, this man's own people had banished him after trying to physically restrain him with shackles and chains. What's worse, this Gerasene man howled with agony and engaged in what we call self-mutilation. His cutting behavior left open wounds and I'm sure horrible scars. Yet we so often fear the unknown that is serious mental illness. And, with that, and, and often that fear begins with simple anxiety. It is uncomfortable to be in the presence of this kind of suffering. It is awkward. We don't know what to say. Sometimes the strange and wacky behavior even makes us laugh a little bit if we're honest with ourselves. But let us not lose sight of Jesus here. Perhaps the most significant part of his ministry to this man is his ability to restore this man to the human community. It begins with Jesus himself and in time includes restoration to this man's own society who had previously ostracized him. When we hear about such painful suffering, we naturally ask, where does this come from? What are the causes? While we would need much more time to unpack these questions, let me be a little blunt here. People suffer psychologically not because of sin or a lack of faith. Here I would remind you of John 9 verse 3 where Jesus is asked by his disciples about a man blind from birth. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus, Jesus responds in a simple yet direct manner. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In Jesus' day, this was a common assumption that afflictions and illnesses were a consequence of sin, an assumption that sadly hasn't changed that much in the last 2,000 years. Sure, there might be some serious consequences from serious sins in a person's life, or resulting from a troubled family background. But far more common is the suffering that comes from multiple factors, multiple causes. Today we understand mental illness as most often biologically determined, not exclusively, but most often, and happening within unique social contexts, not usually of our own choosing. You'll remember how I started this message with all of those labels we have for the mentally unwell. Each of these words, each of these demeaning labels perpetuate what we call social stigmas. Many would say our default position as a society is social stigma toward mental illness anyway. So JBU, how do we respond when we are approached and touched by the unclean? Do we see it as an invitation into a relationship with them to offer them care and compassion? Or do we see it as an inconvenience, as a bother, or as an invasion of our personal space? I have to confess, this is my go-to response. I don't want to get my hands dirty. Getting involved means getting messy. I remember vividly some of my first experiences um, after graduating at JBU. I worked in a psych hospital, and these are the crazy of the crazies. And again, it might sound like I'm using a pejorative there, but I'm not. I'm not meaning it that way. Um, it's disturbing. You don't know, like I said, you don't know what to say. Um, and sometimes it means getting, getting our hands messy when that becomes a chronic problem. So who are the ones who are too embarrassed, too wounded, or too afraid to ask for healing? How might we re-engage with those who metaphorically live outside of town or in tombs of their own suffering because of psychological struggle? These are but a few of the important questions we can ask, but we most, must also ask, what are some of the solutions? There is one simple place to begin. Let's drop the labels. In this passage from Mark, like other authors, I prefer the Jewish term unclean spirit over the Greek term demoniac. In this story, the man's suffering is not his essential value or worth. It is only his behavior, and of course, behavior can change. In our time, instead of schizophrenic or the depressed, we say person living with schizophrenia or depression. And before we dismiss this as mere political correctness, remember, you probably know someone who suffers from some kind of mental illness. I encourage you to try to see it through their eyes. 
Changing how we speak about people eventually changes how we think about them. Consider how the church today, and remember you beautiful people are the church, might offer the same empathy to persons with mental illness in helping them to reclaim their dignity and self-belief. You've heard many times that we are called to carry each other's burdens. That's Ephesians 6, 2. Another way we can do that, of course, is to pray for those who carry the burden of psychological disability, praying that we might earn their trust, praying that fear would be replaced by hope, prayer that hope will come for those who seek help. We can listen and we can listen to understand. As I tell my students in my abnormal psych classes, 75% of those who seek help find it. That's good news. This means recovery is actually likely. And finally, we can offer prayer for endurance when healing does not come in the ways we expect and we have to persist with our suffering. I close with these words from an anonymous mental health advocate and sufferer, and I trust her words will encourage you as well. Individuals with mental illness, as well as their families, friends, and caregivers may have gifts to share that we have, that have emerged precisely from the experience of living with mental illness. These individuals know what it is to have one's life turned upside down by the unexpected. We have found ourselves in that liminal space between what is known and what is, yes, what is yet unknown, able only to listen and wait. We have faced fear and death and know our own vulnerability. We have met God in that empty darkness where we realized we were no longer in control and learned to rely on God's presence and care. We have learned to accept graciously and to give graciously to be appreciative of the present moment. We have learned to negotiate a new terrain, a new way of life that is unfamiliar. We have learned to be adaptable and innovative, to use our imaginations to solve new problems. We can be resilient. There are many of us on campus ready to listen, ready to open our hearts to you. Come see us, come talk to us, take the chance. Thanks for listening, and may God bless each and every one of you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the John Brown University Chapel Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, and we'd love it if you would leave us a review.